This is working to be. It is Thursday, August 13, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Mike Kern will join us in a minute. Give me what you can tonight. Well, I'll try, and we will try to break down what is a busy time in Philadelphia sports. The Phillies are reeling. They've lost two games at home as we're recording this to the Baltimore Orioles. They called up Alec Bohm, though, today, so... Uh, we'll discuss that on our second segment. Um, we'll talk about the Flyers. Game one win, 2-1 game one win over the Canadians last night uh, in Toronto in the bubble. Really, they didn't play extremely well from, uh, I would say, the second period on. I thought third period they maybe settled down a little bit, but uh, Carter Hart was just incredible. So Mike and I will talk about that, uh, and we'll... Talk Sixers, actually, in the first part of the show with our our buddy. Uh, Bob Cooney covered them for a long time. He's now part of the 97.5 Morning Show with uh, Mark Farzetta and Jamie Lynch. <clears throat> we'll talk Sixers, where they go. They have the matchup against the Celtics all set up now uh, to begin next week. I don't think a lot of people are real confident that they're going to really give the Celtics much of a series, but... We'll talk to Bob. We'll see where he thinks they are, um, you know, and and whether the the big changes are really coming at the end of the year. We'll talk Phillies and Flyers with him as well. We'll touch a little bit on the college football situation as we go along. Uh, next week, kind of an open week at this point. We're we're Tuesday Thursday, but we have not lined up any guests. <clears throat> so just with everything in flux between. The Phillies and Flyers going on. Yeah, by the way, the Eagles have started their training camp and Doug Peterson back uh, coaching them and everything. This would have been, on this Thursday night, would have been the exhibition opener for the Eagles, but obviously now four weeks away from the start of the regular season. So uh, so a lot going on. A lot of things in the, in the hopper, if you will, uh, to talk about. And when we come back, it will be Bob Cooney. Uh, our old buddy, uh, formerly the Daily News, formerly the Sixer beat writer, formerly LaSalle beat writer there for a long time. And uh, he will get us going as we talk a little Sixers. That's next here on Working the Beat right after these messages. Joining us now, uh, one of the crew members, along with Mark Farzetta and Jamie Lynch on the 97.5 Morning Show uh, on 97.5, uh, and uh, yeah. longtime Sixer writer and college basketball writer for the Philadelphia Daily News, and my identical cousin, it's Bob Cooney. Bob, how are you? Kevin, Mike, how you guys doing? Everything good? Everything's Boy, good. Identical, identical cousins, wow. Now, that was actually yes. Bob's creation 
Yes. Um, Years ago, people, everybody always asks if we're related. So I came up with that. We are identical twin cousins. <laughs> and, and, and all right, I might as well tell the story right off the top here before we get going. Um, I, right. ha- I had an interview uh, one time for a sixer job at, uh, let's just say, a, a cable outlet in town. And the guy <laughs> called me. And asked me to come and, and like said, hey, we want we want to talk to you about this, everything. I'm like, okay, sure. And I was at, I saw that the Courier's days were kind of numbered. So I'm like, yeah, sure. So I met him at Broad and Wolf. And uh, I met him at the Starbucks at Broad and Wolf. And we were going to go talk and, and talk about the, the job and everything. It's when they had their insiders and everything. And he gets out of the car. It's 100 degrees. It's late September. It's 100 degrees. I'm in full shirt and tie, sweating my you-know-what's off. Uh-huh. The first words are, hi, Bob, how are you? Oh. And wow, that's where the identical twin cousin exactly. comes into play. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I have no shot in this interview. None. <laughs> None. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this in. Go ahead. You guys all know Joe Giuliano. Sure. Right? My good bud. And Joe Logan. Yeah. Okay. At one point, Joe Logan started sharing the golf beat and whatever. And one of Joe's best friends or somebody that would know Joe, Meets him at the airport or whatever and says, hi, hi, you're Joe Logan, right? And Giuliano just, like, the head went down, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, and I've probably made a mistake like that, but, man, but, yeah. You know, how depressing, you know how depressing it is when you're at oh, the beginning of a job and, and you can't leave. You Kev, can't. I'll make you feel better right now, okay? Okay, go ahead. I wound up interviewing for that same job, too, and I didn't I, get it. You didn't get it either. So. <laughs> but, did they call, but did they call you Kevin? That's what I want to yeah. know. <laughs> Nobody ever called him Kevin. They always call me Bob. So, actually, my former cohort used to call me Bob Cooney uh, on the Phillies beat. My, my old beat. Oh, my, yeah. Um, well, I apologize. No, that's okay. My, my apologies if anybody <laughs> ever called you Kevin. Maybe. What? <laughs> It's an upgrade, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Um, all right. So let, let me get to your old haunts with the Sixers. Uh, they're going to play the Celtics here beginning next week. Please give me a reason to think they can actually win this series. Well, I mean, if you look up and down the Celtics roster, your first question that comes into mind is who's going to cover Joel Embiid? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that's the way – you have to positively look at it. Uh, you know, Enos Cantor coming off the bench, he gives some troubles. But, you know, if Joel Embiid can't dominate that, uh, uh, Tice, are they going to throw him on him? Uh, I, you know, it's it's not the past where now Horford for Boston was able to hook up against Joel Embiid and give him fits both offensively and defensively. So I think that's where you have to look first. After that, Kev, I don't have a lot of answers for you, in all honesty, because I I, I – I don't like the inconsistencies of this Sixers team. Uh, I haven't seen any improvement from this team. I still think they're trying to figure things out, which is maddening after playing as many games as they have, 65 and 7, 72 games. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what more is there to figure out? But I'll tell you right, I'll ask you guys this, and, and you know you know as well as I, what is their rotation going into this playoffs? I know we don't know, but does Brett Brown know? Well, I would – well, you got to think – yeah, There you go. Yeah, okay. you would think it's going to be Horford and Tobias and Embiid in the front court. Milton and – You know the starters. The starters. Oh, God, is he going to throw Nieto back at, out there? I mean – I mean, yeah, what are you doing? Like, did you just give Howell Neto another audition 70 games into the season? 
he's toying with Mike Scott an awful lot. Is, is he all of a sudden saying, oh, well, maybe that would work? Kyle Brown said that he studied for four months the Boston Celtics. Well, he probably has a plan. I would assume he goes into this series knowing exactly what he's going to do. Is Matisse Thibel a guy that's going to get a lot of minutes because Boston is a perimeter team? And you know two years ago when they lost to Boston in the playoffs, that's how they killed him, by beating him on the perimeter both offensively and defensively. So I don't know what the rotation is. The Ben Simmons injury obviously throws a wrench into it. But I think you just go into this – put it this way. I go into this series leaning more towards the team that's gone 3-4 and four in this bubble and that went 10-24 and 24 on the road more than I do to the team that went 29-2 and two at home. Yeah. Mike? Bob, before the restart, Bob, were you one of those people – because I sensed a lot of optimism in certain segments of the media – that the Sixers could turn, that they would have Simmons now, he would be healthy, uh, you know, for the first time all year or most of the year, they'd be playing their real team. And there was a lot of enthusiasm that the Sixers could make a run, a long run in this thing. Were you, did, before the restart, before the Simmons injury and before you saw what you saw, did you think they might have had that in them? Or was that just a false kind of hope on our part? Well, I, I looked at the layoff as two different Sixers teams, even though they weren't playing, Mike. So you had the Sixers team that finished and then went on hiatus because of the COVID, right? So that's a team that you're shaking your head, you're scratching your head saying, who, who the hell are these guys? And then all of a sudden, towards the end of the pandemic, we hear that they're switching Ben Simmons to the four, taking Al Horford out of the lineup and putting in Shake Milton. Then you start to think, wow, that's a totally different team, right? Taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands, starting a rookie. Then I started to think, wow, like what, what, Brett Brown must have figured something out. and must be keyed toward the playoffs. I really thought that. I thought that he was thinking, look, teams are going to go zone against us in the playoffs. I need somebody with the ball in their hands that can just pull up and shoot if teams are playing in zone. Somebody that can dribble, penetrate, draw defenders, and dish. And, you know, use Ben Simmons in a way where he's flashing from the weak side, coming to the ball, running on fast breaks. I had all these visions of, wow, this could really be different. I didn't see it when he came, when they came back. And so now you're back to kind of the first team that you thought about, but it doesn't have Ben Simmons. So I, I, I didn't know exactly what to anticipate. I'll put it this way, Mike. If you put eight teams on a floor down in Orlando and you have a starting five and pick any eight teams you want in the Eastern Conference and say, which team do you want? Talent-wise, I think I'm taking the 76ers, right? I mean, yeah. pretty much, but – as far as cohesion, as far as being able to, to, to get a schematic system offensively, they're, they're low on my list. How, so but it, it's but, just confusion with me. Bob, how much of an indictment then is that on the head coach? Oh, it is. Uh, there's no question it is. And, you know, I, 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 I was up front and personal with what Brett was doing, and I saw it all, and I respect him as a coach and everything like that. And, look, if, if you were to tell anybody out there, and I think you two would agree with this, we're going to give you a coach and give you a roster that can win. And he's going to go the first year and win 54 games and win a playoff round with a rookie point guard. Right. And then the next year he's going to win 53 games and lose to the eventual NBA championship champions in the second round on a quadruple doink. Uh, you know, you go into the season, you say, yeah, this is the guy. There's no question about it. But have they improved or have they gotten worse since then? I don't know what the answer is. The wild inconsistencies of home and away is truly bothering to me. The lack of schematic offense is maddening to me. I beat my head every night when I watch this team. I don't know what they're doing. That all being said, yeah, that is an indictment on Brett Brown. 
But I'll tell you what, last night, and I hate to do this, but the first half last night, you can tell Brett Brown got into him and said, look, you're treating this first half like playoff basketball, and you're right. going to run hard, and you're going to play hard, and we're going to we're going to exploit mismatches, which is what they did with the little chirpy chirpy guys in um, in For Van Toronto. Fleet and, right. and Kyle Lowry, and they pinned them up when they had the chance to and play last pretty night, well. Gave me some optimism that they might know what they're doing, but then in the second half, they yeah, didn't but give I, a crap. I, I, I mean. I gotta tell you, Kev, I didn't even watch the second half. Once they said him well, was out, and, and I saw I, I, I saw the likes of Norvell Pell out there, I was I was done. No, I I get that, but I'm also at the point where like, yeah. Here here's my problem with maybe it's more the basketball mindset they have as a group, and the way they approach it. And Mike and I have talked about this endlessly. They're trying to win the 1989 NBA title with Bully. Yeah, Bull. with the way this team was structured. They never addressed the shooting end of it. They tried to go power forward at a time when the league is so dependent on the three. And the coach buys into that. And the coach sold it. And we know, look, I understand Eldon is the GM. Brett's picking the groceries a little bit here, too. I just didn't like the way they approach. This is a system failure in my mind. More than anything else, no not question. just Brett, but this is the whole system. And I almost think that the process for whatever it was, the process was to get you to a point to win a title. I almost think that window's gone already. Yeah, I mean, people are talking about it. It sounds crazy, like, for the things I just said about Brett Brown, for what he's done over two and a half years. Like, they were on pace again to win 50 this year. Right. You know, that's three straight years of 50-plus wins, playoffs, all that. That being said, it sounds successful. And if you add into that, you have a point guard that's only played two and a half years in the league. You have an, a center who's still trying to find himself, whether that's good or bad. Uh, you know, those are all the excuses you can make to say, hey, this isn't over yet. But I hear what you're saying, Kev, because I think more talk goes to, is it time to to part with either Embiid or Simmons? Is it time to look elsewhere? Is it time to maybe just have a dominant center and build shooters around him? Is it time that... The dominant center isn't part of the game anymore. You're exactly right. They built an 80s team for and with a coach that wants to play a 2020 game. And it, it's just not working. My thought was during the pandemic, and I said this on air a lot, I watched a lot of Lakers basketball from the 80s. When you watch the old games, mm-hmm. they didn't shoot any threes. No. They did showtime, and they ran, and Magic Johnson had the ball, and he couldn't shoot either. Right. Right. So, like, I saw similarism. Damn, they try to run. When they can't run, they wait for this guy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's been the all-time leading scorer in the league for 100 years. They waited for him to come down, and then he dominated and got his 30 points a game. You had a lot of great mid-range shooters. You had a 6'10 guard who could pass and dribble and quick. Like, uh, there's a similarity right there. If you're going to go bully ball, there's your model right there. But, Bob, the one difference is that, I'm not sure this. Yeah, the, those Laker teams got the shit beat out of them a lot of times by Detroit and by the Celtics, and they played a physical they type won of ball. Some championships too. No, though. no, no. But I'm saying they were physically made to handle that type of play while still oh, running right, the break. Right. Yeah, I don't think this team with the brittle center and a point guard. I'm not sure can really take a lot of contact, and I don't know. I think doesn't want to go to the line. That's a problem. But that's not the way, but that's not the defensive way of the NBA anymore. Kev. No, you know what I mean. They're I not going to face that toughness that the Lakers faced in the '80s. It's just not out there anymore. So I think they could have imposed their will. I just think they didn't know a, brand, a way to play. And I'm sitting there during the pandemic, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, wow, 
that seems to be a model, right? If they're if they're if this team is built the way it's built, and it is, there's nothing you can do about it. Then maybe going backwards, looking in the '80s, instead of playing this 2020 ball, which you're not built for, maybe that was a way they could have beat teams. But they're not going to do that, Mike. So, so Bob, I've heard of Ryan and Kevin and I have talked about this. We have our opinions. I've heard Jackie McMullen have her opinion. Other people, if you were in charge of this team, and probably will have a new coach. Do you get rid of one of those pieces, or do you do you let it play out some more, especially with a new guy probably coming in? Yeah, I I, I play it out a little bit, Mike. Like I, I just I don't know. This is old school, and and you know I think we're all there, or whatever. But I, I was always taught as a coach for the years that I coached, I always had in my head, give me a good big man and give me a point guard, and I'll make the rest right. work. Like I, I, we can talk about fit and all that stuff. I got to ask you guys. And, Mike, you, you you especially, too, because of all the, the different teams you saw, especially at Temple, how John Cheney made it work. You ever hear of pieces having to fit as much as you've heard it with the Sixers? Because to me, it's a load of crap. Give me five really good players and, and a couple guys coming off the bat. I'll make it work. I, John Cheney, you think he's going to say, nah, you know what? You can't have those two together because they don't fit. Get the <laughs> hell out of here. Like, that's, that's such bullshit in my mind. To so me, I, I you think, have – if you have two of the let, – let's say – and I know Joel seems like he's taking a little bit of a step back. He's still probably one of the – if you're having a draft tomorrow, Joel's probably going to be one of the top ten players drafted or thereabouts. Oh, no question. Yeah. Right. I, I believe, yeah. Um, and the point guard, whether you think he's a point guard or not. He's probably 11 um, or 12. <laughs> well, he's going to be somewhere in yeah. that top 15 or 20 at least. So, to me, that's what the whole process was about, was to get two guys like that. And then your job is to – and Tobias is an all-star or was an all-star. Yeah. So why would you move away from that? Because it almost – yeah, I'm not saying if, if somebody's going to give you Damian Lillard for somebody or somebody's going to give you that guy for somebody and you say, wow. Um, but they're not giving you that guy for somebody. I agree with you, Bob. I think that you got to try to make this work. You have to. That's I, just me. I would try to make it work, but I also understand that I'm wondering if having the two guys – and their personalities maybe just doesn't mesh. And, and look, uh, Bob, you know this. When Allen was here, Allen didn't always mesh with the people. Who, you know, that 01 team was special because he did have a lot of people who he worked well with. When he started throwing in Tony Kukoc and, uh, you know, a lot of Eric other. Coleman. Yeah, that's when it, yeah. That's when it became a problem. And that's where I think that they have to really examine. And the problem for them is that they're so tied against the cap because the Harris the Harris contract and the Horford contract are so penalizing for them and, yeah. and overbearing that that may be the only move you can make is to yeah, trade one of your stars. Yeah, you know, and we talk about it all the time. If you were Portland, would you trade Lillard for Ben Simmons and this and that? And, you know, you have to look at the other team. And, and we get callers, obviously, and you guys talk to people all the time. Oh, the Sixers should trade him for that. You know, and your obvious answer is, well, would the other team do that? So I, I you know, I don't even, I haven't even. You can't move those other teams. There. You can't What's move. That? You can't move Harris or, or Horford at this point. No, you you can't. And I don't know if I want to move in Beater Simpson. Like, you know, you've had these guys together for less than a season, full season, meaning with Tobias Harris and Al Horford. I I, I do. I, I put it. I've said it all year long, and and I've talked to Brett about this. I I don't know why it's so hard to get this very, very talented team to play in a way that is better than what it's been. There's no damn way in hell 
this team should have won 10 games on the road out of 34. And guess what? They started the year 3-0 and on the road. They're 7-24 and on the road. That's horrible. I mean, that's that's below horrible. Especially we could go 7-24 and on the road. With me as the point guard. And especially when the they, road. They won 7 out of their last 31 games on wow. the road before this bubble started. And a lot of those games were in places like Washington and Orlando. Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I mean, places I mean, where it's, I, I don't. It's a. I'll tell you what. It, what I think it is, and and this isn't a knock on individual. It's a loser mentality, and we've been around teams. The three of us have been around sports for a long time, and we've been around teams where you just can't explain. Like, why the hell can't the Phillies beat the Marlins? Why? Why the hell the one year did the Dodgers beat the Phillies twelve out of thirteen? You know, like there are times where you, it's just inexplicable mm-hmm. that you don't know why it happens. To me. I've always thought from when I was playing, when I was coaching, and I saw these things happen, it's just a mindset. And the Sixers going on the road, it was in their minds, not how are we going to win, it was how are we going to lose. Mike, I'm going to ask the question, the Bob, that I always bring up with you about the, the, the organization itself. I believe that this organization and the ownership maybe doesn't care if it wins a title. It would be nice, but I think they care about the business end of things, of being revolutionary being able to sell the whole building out and being able to be good enough that it gets everybody interested and tell everybody how wonderful they are and and along the way they've kind of lost sight of the ultimate goal which allows you to do all that which is go win something they haven't won a division yet so for all this talk of what they've done they haven't done shit well it it, i'll tell you what kev you're in the media i'm in the media mike we all we've been in and there's a lot of other people out there in the media that say the exact same thing and think the exact same thing. So are we naive to think it? I don't think so. Have they perpetuated that that thought process to us because we think they're just happy being owners? And look, we tanked and we turned it around. We went from 10 wins in one season to 53. And two years later, look at us, look at us. Do I think that's part of it? I do. Do I think ownership group is more of a fantasy basketball, hockey, soccer owners than anything else. Maybe soon baseball. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With the Mets. Maybe. Yeah. Look, I don't – from Elton Brand down, there's a will to win. There's a desire to win. They're trying to do everything they can. You can disagree with what Elton Brand did, and I understand that totally. But Elton Brand's doing stuff. Elton Brand is trying. The, the most I've seen the ownership group from above Elton Brand try recently was to take 20% salaries away from people that were making $50,000 the day after the league shut down. Yeah. Right? Be, I mean, was, that's so damning yeah. to me. I yeah, cannot let that go, and I know people roll their eyes. But it was I guess it was like a week into the pandemic. They were the first team to say they were going to do something. They didn't say they were going to donate. They didn't say they were going to give money. The billionaire owners said we're going to take 10%, 10 or 20% from people making $50,000 and above. It's like an outcry from all of us, you guys, me, everybody, yeah. for them to say, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we're not going to do that. We, we changed our minds. At a time when they're trying to put a $2 billion offer on a baseball team in New York. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jamie Lynch had a great line in our in our studio today. Josh Harris farts and makes three point five million dollars. Like, what 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 is, what are they trying to get here? Okay, Mike. <laughs> so, Bob, let's assume they don't beat the Celtics, or if they, or if they do beat the Celtics somehow because they did win three to four games, they lose in the next round, and the coach is not here. You're the team. You're you're the guy trying. You're not getting rid of the point guard or the center. You're stuck with Horford. 
and and to buy, and I don't mean stuck. I mean Tobias is a good player. What do you do? What what do you try to do? Because you obviously can't come back with the same cash, but you're going to be changing. What what do you think they should do? What should they look for other than I guess the obvious shooters? Yeah, I mean uh, it's a great question, Mike. Because what can you do? Like what what do you want to do? God, you want shooters, obviously. You know this side. You would love to dump some sat. You can't. Horford and, and yeah, the reality of it is Horford and and um, and Harris are here. I don't think they're ready at all to give up on on Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. All right, there's four of your starting five. I don't mind Josh Richardson. Are you going to tinker with that? Uh, okay, you went from J.J. Redick to Josh Richardson, Jimmy Butler. You've tried to fix that position. Maybe you haven't all the way. Uh, you know, a good, solid backup point guard. It's just the same thing. See, this is what's aggravating. You guys have had this conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm jumping in, and I'm probably saying the same thing you guys have said a hundred times. They need a guy that can that can create for himself and that can shoot. They got to surround the, the team with shooters and bead with shooters. Ben Simmons at some point is going to have to shoot a ten to fifteen footer to keep offense or defenses honest. It's just the same round robin thing. But now, unlike other years, they've stymied themselves with the contracts they gave out. So yeah, mm-hmm. if they lose in the first round, I. You know, we've talked about this on the show. I don't think that the organization – I'm not saying what I would do because I would never call for anybody's job. I'm not that person. I don't do it. I talk about what I think the organization would do. If they lose in the first round, I believe the organization would look for another coach. The guys I work with, a lot of guys that I've talked to, think that the team's too cheap to keep paying Brett Brown for two more years and bring in another coach. So that's that's where that's going to stand. But if they're – Boy, you can't – but you can't bring the same cash back and sell it, can you? Well, how do you, how do you get rid of it? What do you do? How do you get rid of it? I mean, anything you do, Mike, is going to be minimal. Yeah, I but mean, at least what? if you get a coach, it's like the Phillies this year. They went out and got a guy who was an upgrade from the guy. So at least if you got a new coach, whether that's right or wrong. I, I, Actually, I, your I'm example should be the Flyers. Right. But, Mike, I'll, I'll also – Okay, yeah. I'll take Bob's yeah. – I'll take this point. Although the Flyers – the difference is the Flyers weren't – four bounces away from being in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You're right. Well, either were the Phillies. But, right. yeah, the, the Flyers showed what a good coach can do you, right? Absolutely. But I'll also yeah. make the point that they may not have to sell a damn thing because there may be no tickets to sell. Oh, they, 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 I mean, seriously, if you think about it, if they want to ride this out with Brett for a financial reason, they could because – it's not like they're going to take better a, time to do it. Yeah, because it's not going to take a time, uh, uh, you know, a season ticket hit at this point. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good, that's a great point, Kev. I mean, my but my other point on this though, Bob, don't they need a different voice at a certain point? And, and I know you don't want to, you know. Look, I like Brett. When I've dealt with Brett, everybody, Brett, Brett, that's what we say. Everybody says I'm sorry, but Brett Brown either should be right. fired or whatever. But, Everybody loves Brett. But if you're also looking at in this way, they in that room need another voice because nobody they've never heard another voice at this level, and they've kind of hit a rut. They're kind of spinning their wheels. And I think on the flip side, Brett's been here seven years. Um, maybe Brett needs a new challenge at this point. I mean, the shelf life on NBA coaches is not usually that long. For the first time I thought of that, it was about 10 days ago that I, I was watching Brett on the sidelines and I was thinking, I wonder if I sat down, I wouldn't do this. And if I did, I wouldn't tell anybody. But if I sat down with Brett and said, you, are you cool staying here? 
And, and if he and I were just talking as friends, I wonder if he would say, yeah, it, might, it looks like it may have run its course. Now, I'm a betting man. Brett wouldn't say that in a thousand years because he's competitive and he thinks he can do this. And, you know, if you really look at it, like I said, he's only been given two and a half years and all he's done is average 53 and a half wins. And Brett would get another so, team. Brett would get another team in the league. He would get a, He would get another team in this league. Yeah. I know he won't he won't do anything unless he's a head coach in the NBA. Well that's what I'm like, saying. He's not gonna go be an assistant coach anywhere. So you yeah. think he would get a job? I, I do. I mean, you know, look, the guy in San Antonio may not be there forever. <laughs> I mean, you know Yeah. Yeah, they do love him would, down would, there. Would he be okay in Brooklyn? I think he would be all right in Brooklyn. There's, yeah, I you know I mean it, this league but they they retrade everybody in this league anymore. No, they you're 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 right, they do. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they need a new voice or not. I don't know what they need. You brought up something earlier, Kev, about the personalities of Simmons and and Embiid, and you know, I, I I've said it. I, I think they're entitled a little bit. I, I was there when they broke in. I saw the way they were treated. I I've you know been around to know enough that I think they get away with some things they shouldn't get away with, and, I, and nothing you know major. I'm talking about maybe a little laziness here or there, or you know whatever it may be. Could a new voice do something? Maybe. You know, like the best the Sixers played in the playoffs, I think it was last year, was when they said Brett had a tirade at halftime. And they yeah. came out, you know, guns a-blazing. Uh, maybe that was a side of him they hadn't seen before. I do know all those players respect the hell out of him, and they do love him. But that might go so only so far if you're not getting past the second round of the playoffs. You're right. Mike? The thing, the thing that struck me as weird, Bob, and I guess it was in December. I don't know, but it was back then. When Brett came out publicly about Ben shooting, and said, you know, I've talked to him, I've talked to whoever, to the agent, the family, whatever. Right, you know, the he Jack Mullen story? And, yeah, and, and to me, the fact that then Simmons didn't shoot for, like, you know, the next 30 games or whatever it was, not that I expected him to, but that, to me, was almost like a slap at what was being said. And maybe Ben went to Brett or something. I mean, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but when your coach comes out like that and says, hey, he needs to shoot, he needs and, – and, you know – and then it doesn't happen anyway after your coach says it. That just leads me as a casual fan to think that the guy's not listening. But so, is that to, to add on to that, Mike? So the Jackie McMullen piece comes out during the pandemic, right? Right. And it was damning. It was damning. It was Brett saying, look, I've told him. It was Joel Embiid saying, hey, the reason I got to stay outside is because he won't shoot from outside and we got to let him dribble. Hey, it was very damning. So what happens? Their first game after the pandemic, they move him to the floor. He takes two three-pointers, right? Right. Takes two three-pointers, and you're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, it has changed. Didn't try it again after that. So the first one was a slap in the face. The second one was kind of a a noogie to the side of the head, like stop talking about me. I I do think there's something there, and I think it's a little cat and mouse game that's going on. Bobby, you you covered them obviously for their whole careers here. Can you give me a reason, or maybe it's too slow, of why Ben doesn't shoot the ball? Like, um, I don't expect him to be a forty percent three point shooter. Like you said, Magic was never a great shooter. There's been guys. Jason Kidd wasn't a great three point shooter, but it was the threat that he might do it. That I mean, can you tell us why? Why you think maybe he doesn't shoot? Uh, I, I do think there's a mental block there. I do think okay. he's very um, – like, if you describe his game, Mike and Kevin, it's kind of a flashy game, right? He likes to make the the, the one-handed length of the court bounce pass, right? Okay. He likes the reverse dunks. He likes, you know, all that, the showmanship stuff. 
So when he does that, he gets the adulation from the fans. Well, if he's pulling up from 15, he's going airball. He's not hearing what he wants to hear. I really do think there's a mental block there that okay. tells him I don't want to do it. Because, look, you know, we've all played ball. I, I, I've never played against somebody that I was like, dude, you got to shoot the ball. Like, like, what is that? You know, I, I've never – to get to the level where he is, and he's an all-star. Right. He's an all-star point guard that doesn't shoot the basketball outside of five feet. Yeah, That is ridiculous. Yeah. I've never heard of anything like it. It's – you know, and and it's so compound, it, it confounding to me because of the fact that, you know, he would be a top five player if he did, if he did, yeah, and, and he no plays defense, which a lot I'm of guys up don't stat do. Here for you guys, you're gonna love this stat. Here it is. Sorry, you ready for this? Sure. Ben Simmons this year took 617 shots. Okay, this was before the bubble opened. 481 of them. We're from less than five feet. You know how many shots he made outside of 10 feet this year? Out of the 361 makes that he had, how many do you think were outside of 10 feet? Uh, three. Six. 20. Six. 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 See, I, You're I, telling me all I didn't year, overbid. He made, so. he made six shots outside of 10 feet. Yep. <sighs> Oh, my God. And two of them were three-pointers. <laughs> he shot three for 22. For This should be a game. From 10 to 14 feet for this season, he shot three of 22 from 10 to 14 feet. He took five shots from 15 to 19 feet. Five. And he's a point guard. John Stockton would take 10 shots from 15 to 19 feet as a point guard. I'm not right. asking Ben Simmons to shoot threes. I am nowhere near close I agree, to I agree with you. threes. But yeah. my God, if you're dribbling and they back off you the way they do, I, I mean, how many times have we done that? I know I did it thousands and thousands and thousands of times in the schoolyard where I dribble as hard as I can, I stop the foul, and I pull up and take a jump shot. Right. It's yeah. not that hard to do. I mean, when you watch guys like, and I'm not trying to compare it like a Kawhi Leonard, it's that pull-up eight-footer. When, he, when you got to guard him going to the basket because you know he can get there, and Ben can obviously get to the basket. So if he even developed just a little 8- to 10-footer, doesn't even have to be a 15-footer, I mean, my God, it, he'd probably average five, six more points a game. And I don't think he finishes well around the rim still. He gets to the rim, but if you watch, yeah. like, I really, yeah. really watch these things. I don't think he finishes well either. No. He All right. Because he's afraid he's of going to the line. He's afraid to go to the line. He's still afraid to he's go to the line. He's afraid to go to the line, Kev. You're right. But he shot his shooting percentage from less than five feet. Five feet on in, I would think, should be somewhere around 80%. 65%. <sighs> wow. He doesn't finish well either. No. Yeah. So there's so much offensively that more that he could do scoring-wise, and it has, to me, Nothing to do with shooting three-pointers. We're talking to Bob Cooney uh, of 97.5. <laughs> All right, I'm going to switch gears to from one disappointing team to another. <laughs> As you're wearing your Colorado Avalanche shirt. Exactly. Uh, for, 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 for the love of God, can you explain why this Phillies team is so whole-riddled when you consider that they have $190 million payroll? Uh, I, I, I can't 
I will say it's baffling that you had two promising hitters that you thought were promising hitters that were supposed to be big parts of your lineup this year that have gotten progressively worse. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, Kev, you know better than me and Mike probably, but did Gabe Kapler single-handedly ruin Reese Hoskins? I, I think that the lessons uh, for them trying to stress launch angle so much with him, exactly. Uh, I think that hurt. I think what they did two years ago of moving him to left field and bringing Santana in didn't help. Uh, you know, I, Joe Gillio and I have gone back and forth on this on Twitter. I saw some Twitter stuff from him today. Gillio yeah. um, yeah. and I both are of the mindset. Well, Gillio's of the mindset that shut up, go play, no matter where they put you. Right. My mindset is with young players, you got to let them get settled in. And I believe that with Kingery and, and with Hoskins, the amount of jerking around this organization does to this day. Obviously, what happened on, on Thursday, they're going to move him around like he did as a super utility. When a guy is struggling at the plate, that's the last thing he needs to do is focus in on defensive stuff and all that. Make sure his head is right. Honestly, this sounds stupid. I would have him DH for a day or two in here to try to see if it just gets his mind right. Because at this point, yeah. you're not going anywhere anyway. Yeah, and it's it's such a it's such a knee jerk move. Like you're what are they five and eight or something? You're thirteen games yeah. in, fourteen games in, whatever it is. And okay, now you're putting a rookie at third base. Now you're getting your second baseman, and you're basically sitting him down and telling him that nah, uh, we gave you a whole thirteen games at your natural position before with, with we shut COVID. you down with COVID. After having COVID, with COVID, you, you take Reese Hoskins out of the lineup today. Hoskins looks more frustrated than I've ever seen. He's the most even keel guy it appears on the field. Mm-hmm. And then last night he, he kind of lost his shit throwing his helmet and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened with this team. I also am tired. And Eflin was decent last night. But, my God, are, are they really going to – the trio, and it's unfair to these three that they're always lumped together, but Velasquez, Pavetta, and Eflin, uh, are we really I, going to – I put Eflin in a different class. I'll put Eflin in a different class. I think okay. Eflin – uh, look, Eflin. But they're all linked together, Kevin. They are linked together, but I'll also say this: Zach Eflin last year, when Chris Young's telling him to throw up at the zone, at some point grew a right. set and went, "Uh-uh, I'm not doing that anymore," and went back to what yeah. made him somewhat successful. So I give yeah. Eflin a, a bit of a different way. I don't want to see Nick Pavetta back here again. I don't. No. No. And, and, and to me, when you have what they have, like you have bullpen issues, and you have. You have issues. Gene Segura is showing why he's on like six different teams. Uh, you know, the, the the regression of Hoskins, the regression of Kingery, they overvalue Adam Hazley in my mind. Roman Quinn is a disaster just because at t- that play the other night wouldn't be done in Little League. Uh, I swear to God, Kev, here's what I said on the air the next day. I said, do you remember when you got your first baseball uniform? What was the first thing you wanted to do? You wanted to get it dirty. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you wanted to slide. You wanted to dive. That's exactly what Adam Quinn did the other night. He wanted to get his jersey dirty. So Roman, he's like, Roman, Qu- die no Roman Quinn played it. Should have just let it bounce in front of him and play it in front of him and, and maybe hold the guy a third. Instead, sure. he, he dives. He dives with his glove to the side, so it just bounces over. It goes to the to the back uh, to the wall. You know, th- th- it's just. And at a certain point in my mind, and and I'm like you, I don't take joy in saying 
you have to do this, okay? But at a certain point as an organization, you've had five years of this GM and this president. And it's not any better. They have, they have five players that could help in a playoff, uh, a playoff team right now, okay? Five on their roster. Wheeler, Nola, Harper, Real Mudo, and I'll say Gregorius, okay? Okay, fair. You overpaid for two of them in Harper and Wheeler, okay? The other two others in Gregorius and Real Mudo, there's no guarantee they're here next year because they're free agents, which means you have one homegrown player on your roster that would be contributing to a playoff team. That can't happen. Can't happen. No. That's, it's it's horrible. And the fact that they let this Real Muto stuff play out the way it has. Oh, and make it so. All they're it, doing, they're just watching money piss away in the wind. Like Because if they're going to bring him back, his his value has already skyrocketed since the offseason. And JT right? Real, I mean, and, the, and the likelihood of him looking around and going, nope, I'm over 30. I want to go win a ring before I'm done. And I'll still make a good paycheck somewhere is higher and higher. And looking at this team and going, day. you're not good. You're not good enough to See, do I it. Think, I think, yep. Bob, what happened with the Real Molto, I agree totally with both you guys. They thought that this offseason coming up, prices were going to be lower mm-hmm. because revenues were going to be lower. Teams won't be willing to spend as much. And I said to Kevin, I said, the worst thing that can happen to the Phillies is Real Molto goes out and has a great year. And he, and he is. I mean, at least, you know, through the first quarter of it or whatever. But they, they, they're going to – all their thinking just got screwed. Is what it got because yeah. he's going. To, he's going to get. I don't know what he's going to get. I don't know if he's going to get the twenty-five million or whatever. But he's going to get something, and so is. Well, I don't know what Didi's going to get, but you know that's another issue. But yeah, they they and, and you can't let your best, your second best player, best player walk, can you? No, and also, yeah. and also, you can't have a GM on his third manager, and have a have it. The problem still remain the same. That tells you it's the construction, not the, not the the manager for person or a GM that comes out and says, "I want to keep Gabe Kapler." I mean, he came out and said, "I want uh, to yeah, keep. I don't too. want to make a managerial change." That too. I, yeah, I don't know, uh, Kevin. Your frustration with the Phillies equals mine with the Sixers and Kearns with. I mean, I don't know Temple basketball I, I, over the last few years or something. It, it, it's just like I watched the I watched the game Tuesday night, and I literally just I, I don't know if either one of you guys have had this. I, I had to write for Philly Voice sometime this week after watching the game Tuesday night, which was the debacle where the you know the the pop ups right. dropped and and the Quinn play. I, you almost hate saying it. It was almost anger writing. You know, it's almost like you would do it like if you were like a nineteen year old. You know, uh, you know, like pissed off at your girlfriend or something. And you're saying, "Hey, it, it was this. me. It was me. It was me writing about Temple football 15 years ago, 20 years ago." <laughs> yeah, good. but that's I, what it was. You know, it has to be done. It's 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 true. It's it's exactly what you're saying, Kev. Like, what are they doing? You know, are, should we be surprised that this bullpen blows so bad? I mean, no. what changes have they made? Like, I, we're the idiots. We're the idiots for thinking, oh, it could be that's okay funny. this year. We're the idiots thinking, oh, Nick, Nick Pavetta or, or Velasquez, this is the year. That's a, that's a solid four or five. We're the idiots that are like, you know, oh, Jake Arrieta, although he's pitched well, this is the year he'll be a solid three. I'm still waiting for that to blow up. I'm not a huge believer in him, but he has pitched well so far. Well, he's so. pitching for a paycheck. That does help. It, it does. It does. Uh, finally, uh, give a percentage of how much your Flyers calls have gone up in the mornings now in the last. It's it's. It's pretty good. It's fun. I, I think, you 
know, I, I think we all know this. It's a Flyers town. It's not a hockey town, obviously. You know, people love watching the Flyers and, and you know, there's the diehards and all that. But th- this team is good. Like, they're really, really good. And last night for the first, like, eight minutes, they dominated. And then it kind of got sloppy. And I'm thinking to myself, where did that Flyers team go? But then you have to remind yourself, well, they are playing against another team who's looking to win a cup, too. And they kind of took some things away. But Carter Hart is something special. Yeah. They have – you go up and down that lineup. You know, they're not riding the coattails of Giroux and Voracek and those guys anymore. And and you look at this team, and it's a bunch of 23- and 24-year-olds. And, like, that's fun. This could be a team that's good. This could be the team that we thought the Sixers were going to be, that we thought maybe the, the you know, Eagles were going to be. Like, this could be the team maybe we're riding for the next 10 years. Yeah, that's – yeah, the, the only the, the part I always say though, Bob, I I, I always call from people this. Whenever you think there's going to be a run, you yeah. know, we got we got this thing for yeah. He's like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, we're got four more in the next ten years. And I'm always saying, hell, at, first of all, it doesn't happen in Philadelphia. It just no, doesn't never. happen very many places. And that's why, to me, while I'm not saying they, they have, but you can't miss. This may be the best opportunity they ever get. We don't know this. Could well, be. You know, you're right. Absolutely, could be. Like last year with the Sixers was probably the best opportunity when they have when they were able to have both Butler and Harris and all that. I mean, but you know yeah. why we didn't realize that, Kevin? Because we thought the Warriors were going to win anyway. We didn't realize Durant was going to get hurt and Clay was going to get hurt. So everybody thought, well, boy, if they win, they're still going to lose in the finals or they're lose to the Bucks one or the other. And then all of a sudden, it was like. Oh no! You mean the team that comes out of the East could actually win it? And that's See, when you but look people, back. And but went, oh. people around here should know better because, and Bob, you remember this. I mean, I think you were working with Phil at that point on, on the on the O one run when they went to the uh, when they right, went to the finals. Right. They beat the Lakers in Game One. They had the Lakers on the ropes in Game Two of that game uh, of that series, yes, yeah, they did. and and went to overtime in Game Three with Shaq fouled out. They win either Game Two or Game Three. It's a whole different series. That's what you have to go by if you're that you get into a shot of a four out of seven and anything can happen if you have the talent. And that's kind of what you're I know what you're saying. Last year, everybody was said, oh, they'll get beat by the Warriors. But you you can't play like that anymore. I just don't think you can play like that in, in major pro sports anymore. Yeah, and that's my thing. Like, we can say you don't know what's going to happen. And that's that's right. It's it's absolutely 100 percent correct. But they don't know what would have happened because they didn't even get there. And yeah. I think if they would have gotten there, somehow if they would have gotten by Toronto last year, no matter what they would have, have happened smoked in the Milwaukee. finals. What's that? They would have smoked Milwaukee last year. They would have killed Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I just I really think that had they advanced another round, had they gone to the finals, that the mentality this year would have been such a winning one mm-hmm. that they would have been light years ahead of where they are. Because I just still think they have in their head, we're not there yet. What? How can we get there? And that's a huge hurdle to climb, and they're just not there yet. Is this more? Well, it, seems, it seems to me sometimes that sometimes they carry themselves like they've won something. Like Kevin just said, they haven't even won a division title. But sometimes the way, especially maybe it's my perception from afar, the way that Embiid and Simmons sometimes act is like they've got rings, or or they've been in the finals, or they've done something where you would say, or won an MVP, or done you know. And I'm like. Just accomplish something first, you know. And, and then to we'll, me, it starts. To me, it starts with the opening tap. I am so tired of Joel Embiid getting an opening tap, winning it, putting his head down, walking the first few steps, 
Simmons getting the ball, dribbling between his legs. Like, put the other teams on their heels right away. And then uh, Embiid did it a little bit last night. He ran to the block, and he posted up strong on the first possession. What's wrong with starting a game like that? What's yeah. wrong with coming out and punching a guy in the mouth right away as opposed to coming out and dancing with them for a little bit? Like, right. I, I totally agree with you. you you've, you've shown nothing for Embiid to walk, for Embiid not to get in the habit of running. I, I tell this story a lot, and I'll tell you guys. I'm covering the Sixers in the middle of the process, and we're in San Antonio. San Antonio, I swear to God, is up like 35 early in the third quarter. Tim Duncan blocks the shot, grabs the rebound, outlets it to Tony Parker, runs his ass off down to the block, gets a feed on a fast break, and dunks the ball. Comes out of the game after that, doesn't play another second. After the game, I'm talking to Brett. It just so happens that um, Timmy Duncan comes to say hi to Brett, and I just said to him, I said, dude, you guys are up 35 and you're running the floor. He's like, that's what we do. Like, yeah. I don't walk. When I'm out there to play, I play. He said, that is, he said, and he was giving compliments to Brett. He goes, that's what he taught us to do. That's what Pop tells us to do. That's something that the Sixers haven't gotten yet. And yeah. it's a shame that they haven't, being that Simmons has been here two and a half years and Embiid's been playing for four years now. Before we let you go, what is the best untold process story that you saw? Uh... God, there's so many great stories that I'll tell this one and I won't throw anybody under the bus. Okay. I got a call from a higher up in the Sixers organization. Uh, thought something was up. You know, a guy that I talked to, I still talk to. Him. Right. And uh, he said, uh, we were talking a little bit and he goes, hey, I got to ask you, uh, have you talked to Sam at all lately? I said, no, I haven't. Not probably for, you know, a week or two or whatever. Why? What's up? He goes, Oh, I don't know. He said his door's been closed for like the last 10 days and none of us know if he's in there or not. <laughs> like that that was pretty weird. <laughs> like they were calling me to wonder if I knew where Sam. Yeah, now now the, the the question I have is like we always heard I always believed that if you had a question for Sam, Sam would get back to you. He just necessarily oh was going to do. He was Sam would call me and ask me questions. And I'm not touting me, or, but he would call me and say, hey, listen, how do you think we should handle this? Not not basketball-wise or anything. It was mostly PR-wise and stuff with the press. But, oh, yeah, Sam would call me and say, like, should I? you think I should get out and talk to the press on this? Or do you think I should? Sam and I had great conversations. How many Sam times did you dinner. go, yes, yes, you should get out and talk? I, you don't know how many times I told him. I said, Sam, you should go on the radio. I said, because people think that you're one thing, but you're actually not. You're You're, you're fun to talk basketball with. And, like, people don't have that vision of you now. They just think, you know, you're this crazy madman scientist that's coming in here to try something different. Here's the Sam Hickey story. It was a couple of days after they brought in Jerry Colangelo, okay? Uh So I think we all kind of knew that Sam was on his way out. It was December of 15, right? Right. We're in Brooklyn, and it's like a day or two later. And Sam sends me a text and says, hey, uh, you want to have dinner in the media room tonight? Sure. So we sit down and we're talking about, I said, you know, just off the record stuff. But I said to him, and I said, do you mind if I share this story? And he says, no, down the line you can, so I don't feel bad telling it. I said, Sam, I, I, I just don't know, like, what do you see as the future here? Like, what, when do you see this actually turning around, like, and winning and right. stuff like that? And he goes, Bob, I'll put it to you this way. He said, if I was president of the United States and we went to war with Russia, I'm not looking at the frontline battles. I'm not seeing how we're making out there at all. I'm looking and seeing how our schooling is for young children 
to learn how to win a war. I want them to learn as youngsters so then as it grows, we will be better equipped to win a war than we are right now. And I was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? Do do the players know this? Does does the coach know this? Like, your winning is in fourth grade right now? Like, what are we talking about? So he was a different dude, and I I really do – it was funny. We were sitting over at my house now, uh, where I am now, and I was having beers with a couple of the guys. It was a Friday night, and they were asking all these questions about Sam Hinkie. And somebody brought up, said, oh, you didn't treat him fairly. And I was like, whoa, really? He said, I, I don't know. I just think you didn't like the process and all that stuff. So I texted Sam right then and there. And I said, dude, I got to ask you a question. I'm beers with friends. Do you think I treated you fairly? He called me two seconds later. <laughs> like that. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. I don't really love what he did. No, I, there, there's a legitimate argument that he took it too far. I understood what he did. Yeah, sure. There's a, yeah. yeah, because that's the way you, you win in the league. But did he take it too far? Yeah, I think he did. You know, and, and the draft. Picks I, think it took, I, I just think it took too long. Well, and it, it just, yeah. and they were and maybe the injuries. The injuries might have had something to do with that. Well, they, um, they were also hindered because some of their draft picks were just awful. Yeah, I, I mean it just, the Noel the Noel draft pick never worked out, and the Okafor draft pick was a disaster. And the, well, yeah, the other one wasn't his. No, yeah. that that was that was the other joke. But that's all the right. story. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got any? You got any collar stories? Would you like to tell? <laughs> any what stories? Collars. Uh. Now nah, he. I, I'll just say before he got hired, you know, you're snooping around trying to figure out what's going on, and I kind of got it from a source that that it was going to be him. So I called a few people, and a guy calls me back, and he's uh, he said, "No, you'll get along fine." Uh, with Brian, he said, but he knows who you are, Bob, and he'll respect what you do and blah, blah, blah. He goes, but just know this. And this guy's, I think they're pretty good friends. He said, just know this. He will always be the smartest man in the room. Well, it's funny because I have, I have a, a Colangelo story and it's from somebody I know who works at Wells Fargo. Okay. Who apparently the Flyers people and him went on a tour when they were renovating the building. Have you heard this okay. one? Have you heard no, this? One? I don't think so. Went on the bill tour and all that, and they got to a certain point, and they were looking at some of the sweet stuff and all that they were doing, and, and Colangelo looks and goes, uh, you guys ought to thank me for this because without me, none of these renovations happen. And the guy's like, dude, we own the building. You know, like the hockey yeah. team and you're, everything. You are renters here. Yes, you are renters. So. Wow. Bob Cooney from yeah, the night. a little bit of an ego there. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> And still, still to this day, an ego, which is unbelievable. Uh, I thought you were going to ask me if I had a Mike Kern story. Well, but, well go ahead. Yeah, hey, feel free. There's many of them out there. Yeah, Mike's the best. All stories involving Mike, you know, concern food. So, of course. Hey, yeah. just hey, Bob, just remember the meatballs I made when you had the party over your house. Oh my right? God, Phenomenal. they were huge. So they wait, Mike, are you Italian? No. Oh, okay. No, because oh, the guy that I work with, the guy that I work with, Farzetta who is a staunch Italian, yes. will not eat other people's meatballs. And that's like an Italian thing? Really? Uh, I yeah. don't know if that's an Italian. When I was growing up, I was half English, half German. We never had Italian food in the house. Like I said, this this is seriously. My mom's idea of uh, meatballs and spaghetti, whatever, was she would brown some ground meat and throw Franco-American over it. So <laughs> then she had a friend who was Italian and made these great meatballs. 
And I got the recipe, you know, what got over, but they were awesome. And then, uh, but Italians are funny about that stuff, Bob. They, they really, really are. I, like, like Tony Leodora, I know him. And I've gotten to know some of his friends. It's always how my mom made it, you, you know, oh, yeah. back in well, the day. Well, that's the thing. That's why they won't eat other people's meatballs because they think they're cheating on their mom's cooking. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it, but, you know. I don't. I don't. Well, Give me you know, a good meatball. You're, I don't no. care who the hell made yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But I will say this. I am a – I'm hard on meatballs. Like if, if I love a good meatball, but if I get like an average meatball, it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yours you know. were awesome. Uh, that wasn't me. That was her. That was her recipe, man. I just indoctrinated it or something or oh, there you whatever go. I did to it. Bob Cooney from hey, the night. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, we have all known people and I could say a few, but I don't want to get in trouble. They were the smartest people in the room that I've dealt with. And had oh, we worked. With- we worked with quite a few together, Mike. <laughs> I'm not even talking about that. I don't mean. I'm. I'm talking about people I covered, who fit that same description that you just said. Like, you know, they they once you walked in the room, they were the smartest person in the room. Only they weren't. See, that's that's what I love about the Jimmy Lynams and the Fran Dunphys and and oh the, yeah, you know yeah. the Stevie Dunny. Like these are people that you sit and talk to, and they'll. I've seen Jimmy Lanham talk to a security guard at a game, and the guy's like drawing plays for him. And, and Jimmy's like, "Yeah, but what if, what if this happens over here?" Like, you know, those are the those are the guys that we cherish. The guys that come in here, and usually they're outsiders. It's not right. a lot of guys that are born and bred here that are like that. It's usually outsiders. We, we spot them a mile away. It's like a baby ball, Mike. I we, think we I, know we know the taste. I think I you know are correct. I think I know one guy Kern would put in that category. And I'm not sure he's going to oh, let what, me get guys who came from outside. No, no guy, guys who thought they were the smartest guy in the room and they really weren't. Yeah. And I don't want to mention it on the air cause it's not fair because, yeah. um, yeah, but like you talk about a hire when Penn hired that coach, Glenn Miller from, you know, up in Canada. And I told Steve, <laughs> from Connecticut. I said, Steve, you just mentioned one. It's not, Go going, ahead. it's not going to work because this guy is not going to fit in here and he never fit in. He, he I mean, nah. it, it was just, it was brutal. And, um, you know, the, the head coach should have been uh, Franny O'Hanlon. They should have just brought Franny O'Hanlon down from Lafayette and everything would have been great and life would have went on. And then, you know, it, it, but, hey, look, it happens. I felt I mean, bad for Glenn Miller. Here, here's, here's where it really hit me that he didn't fit in because I think I was covering Penn at the time. We were at a Final Four. And you know how a Final Four is, Mike. You, you did it, it, it's Philly tables. If there's somebody oh, yeah. who's at a table, everybody from Philly's at the table. Oh, yeah. And Glenn Miller walks by with his wife and, like, waves and keeps going and sits yeah. at the table, like, 10 feet away. And I was just like, ah, he's not going to last. That's that, is, that is a perfect <laughs> description. That is a perfect description of Glenn. Um, but you know what? It happened, and, uh, you know, life goes on. Stevie's there now, and he's doing a good job. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Bob Kern. I knew I couldn't get out of here with, without a Mike Kern. It happens. Absolutely. So. It happens. Yeah, man. Now, now I feel now I feel full. Hey, hey, if the president can say it is what it is, I can say it is what it is. That's right. No question. It happens. You you, you always have to bring him up once a show, don't you, Kern? Southwest Southwest Philly floater, baby. Uh, He's in Iceland now. (laughs) So Bob Cooney from 97.5 The Fanatic with Mark Farzetta and Jamie Lynch and that whole crew. Bob, thanks for joining us. Oh, Be God, thanks for I love doing this. Anytime, just uh, hit me up. I love doing this. Absolutely. We'll, we'll have you back as soon. Be, be careful. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get the home game of the of this So at this point. There so. you go. Thanks, Bob, and we'll, be, right. we'll be back. Thanks, thanks so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Take, Take care. care.
All right, guys. Bye bye. Uh, hold on. Wait, what's this the theme to? This oh, is the natural. This is the natural, yes. Yeah, all right. So. Good move. All right. Go once, I figure out, once I figure out how to log off. <laughs> That's I'll fine. I'll log you off here. I got you. No, I got it. I'm good. Okay. All right. I'll see you. I'll see you. <laughs> and. <laughs> Well, Mike, that was fun. Hey, I got to throw this at you. Go ahead. And I'm not knocking any other paper. Um, I'm sure you at the Bucks County paper had your your group of guys. Where, where and, was and I? Were, I don't remember that place. Yeah, okay. The group of people we had at the Daily News, mm-hmm. for the most part, was just like Bobby just came across. You know, uh, a lot of us came up. We were clerks. We paid our dues. Uh, you know, Eddie Barkowitz, Bobby Cooney, uh, uh, myself. Um, but we really were kind of a close group, and we had fun. I mean, we really did. You, you know, we we. I, I think sometimes some people are too serious in life, um, and sports has a time and a place when it should be serious. But let's remember what we're doing. You know, I mean, I know now, like, you know, are they going to play football? It's like the biggest question on the face of the earth. But with working with guys like Bobby, and I remember one time he had a party over his house. Right. Um, and, you know, we all went. Like, Barkham was there. Most of our staff was there. And we all bought food. We all bought something. I made my meatballs. And it was just such a great time. Um, you know, and I, I miss those days. I, I really do miss that um connectivity if that's a, the right word no. I, I don't i, I think I, I think that's look and i i joke but i miss the guys i work with at, at the courier i miss drew markle yeah. and todd and and uh you know wayne and ed and tom and and all of them i mean it, and the guys you would see down the stadium right like yeah. you know Rodano would be down there you and Rodano would be you know having an, a conversation during a game or or Whatever. I mean, it was just, it, it, there's a sure. I mean, and, and I, right? I can honestly tell you that I enjoyed everybody I worked with on the Phillies beat. Everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did we fight? Yeah, we did. But I mean, we had a, a we had a great time. Um, yeah. So I think the college writers are even more so because I think there's a little less pressure on the college beat. You know, I, I said this for years. Right. Joe, Julie, and Anna and I were technically rivals, competitors. Right. For a long, long time, whether it was golf, whether it was the bit, Joe and I would tell each other stuff. Like, yeah, right. yeah, if Joe missed a press conference, hey, Joe, what do you need? Right. He would do the same for me. And we never thought anything of it. That doesn't you know, happen and, on a lot of beats. Um, yeah, well, Joe and I had a special kind of relationship and still right. do, but but we realized, and he would still try to beat the heck out of me, or I would try to beat the heck out of him. Don't get me wrong, but he was a friend. And he was a friend first before he was a competitor. And maybe that was wrong. I, I don't know if that was right or wrong, but that's the only way I knew how to do it. Um, you know, and I felt the same way about guys like Jensen and Narducci and, right. and guys like that that I had to sort of compete against too. Let me, uh, let me run down a bunch of stuff here before we, uh, before we say goodbye. Um, it's a lot of quick hit items. We've already talked Phillies. And, and Sixers and Flyers. Uh, there is a Phillies that I want to get to, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, since we last talked on Tuesday, obviously the Big Ten and the 
Pac-12 made their decisions to not play college football this year. Um, well, in the fall, anyway. In the fall, at least. Yeah, you're right. Um, and the Big 12, SEC, and the ACC are holding on for now. Uh, it's not an ironclad guarantee that any of them are going to play. They're more likely to play. Uh, but like they're waiting to see kind of how the situation develops in the next couple of weeks. Um, what I wanted to bring up with you, though, was the Nebraska factor. And Nebraska was forced to kind of grovel today with a statement saying, we're not leaving the Big Ten. We're not going to play football outside of what we're, you know, signed to. But the Scott Frost of the world who absolutely were idiots with the way they handled it. Um, I, what was your thought when you heard all it this? Was, it wasn't just Scott Frost. It was the athletic and the chancellor. And the chancellor or yeah. the president. So they're all they're all wrong and they're all stupid. And if I was the big, first of all, they wouldn't have done it if Jim Delaney was still the commissioner. Agreed. And Jim was a powerful person. Now they got this new commissioner, and you know they're probably whatever. What I understand, you're frustrated. Uh, Ryan Day's frustrated. James Franklin's frustrated. Jim, uh, Harbaugh's, Harbaugh's frustrated. frustrated. Everybody's frustrated. You want to play football. All the high school coaches around here. You're a kid. You're 17 years old, 19 years. You want to play football. Let, let's not. You know, I will get get past that. You're Scott Frost. So really, what has Nebraska done in the last 15 years anyway? But that's that really shouldn't even be part of it. Mm-hmm. But so you're going to tell the Big Ten what? We're going to look into playing football. The Big Ten, first of all, should have came out with a statement demanding an apology or just said, you know what, Nebraska? It's been nice knowing you. Go play in the SEC. Go play in the Big 12. Whoever will have you, we're done with you. Because that, to me, when you're part of a conference, Mm -hmm. it would almost be like if Alabama said that. Like if the SEC said, well, we're not playing football this year, but Alabama said, well, no, we're going to look to play in the Big 10. You don't do that. That's why you're in a conference. And when you're getting that $35 million a year or whatever they get from Big Ten Network, right? You know, don't don't shit on the on the on the golden goose that helps feed you. Okay. So I just didn't totally understand it. Maybe the moment just got the best of Scott. Maybe he was asked a question and, and just didn't respond the way he would probably have liked to, but I think that was his true well, feeling. Beyond the football coach. The other people you mentioned who are academia mentioning this and sounding completely bogus and petty and all that. It, it, it's just so they never fit in the Big Ten anyway. They really never have. But that has nothing to do with it. No, Kevin. It, but, it, it, but it doesn't matter if you fit or not. But but there's speculation that they do want to look for an exit from the Big Ten. Well, then fine. Walk. Go. Go see if go. the Big 12 will take you. Go. Go. Whatever. You were in the Big 12. You left the Big 12 or Big 8 at the time or big, whatever the hell it was because you Try to get Missouri band. back. Missouri doesn't fit in the SEC. Try to get them back in the Big 12. Make it all happy. Here's here's what's being lost in all this because of the pandemic. Whether it's high schools, colleges, the pros are a different entity. They're, they're over there somewhere. What are you first and foremost? You're a university. Okay? You're a high school. You're not a football high school. No. You're a high school. And a large percentage of your population in the high school doesn't play football. Okay? If 100 people at Nebraska play football and there's 30,000 people at the school, 
you're making rules to try to address the whole student body in the best way you know how in a world where we don't know what this pandemic does. We're not, sure, you might be able to keep your kids safe. I'm not saying they couldn't. Right. But what if they don't? Are you going to look back? Yeah, and like you've pointed this out several times, the litigation factor, whether it's high school or or colleges, Is could be enormous. You know, so, so Nebraska could make thirty five million dollars this year or whatever, and get sued for fifty million. Yeah, if God forbid something. But what Scott Frost did was it it, it just the, the whole Big Ten deserves an apology. And Ryan Day and Harbaugh said things, but they said it in a different kind of way. It wasn't on you know, university Harbaugh, letterhead. Well, and Harbaugh was just saying, hey, I think, and he was stating his opinion, I think we should be able to play because I think we can keep our kids safer. I mean, that seems to be the resounding thing from around the country is our kids are safer on campus than they are at home. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. If your kids are the only people on campus, there's something wrong with that. And if yeah. they're not the only people on campus, they're not really going to be that safe either. It, it just, it, 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 Kevin, it's all about, look, I know that Justin Fields wants to play this year. I don't even think the high price kids, you know, they, they, their lives are going to be pretty much the same. They're going right. to be in the NFL in a year. But it's all about money. Why don't people just come out and say that? If they would just come out and say, and I, I give the Big Ten credit. I for do turning too. their backs on that money. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, now look, they might play in the spring. I mean, somebody brought up a great point today. How are you playing football in the Big Ten in, in January and February? Unless you go to the three domes in the Big Ten and play in a bubble. Um, you ain't playing football no. in, in Wisconsin in those months. I'm sorry. Um, you know, maybe in the South you can uh, or, or certain parts of the country, you know. Um, but it's just, why don't we as a country just say it's all about money? To yep. so just be flat out here. This is the truth. We're getting all this money to play football, and it's helping those universities. But this notion that Nebraska isn't a university, it's a football team. Yeah. That's, you know, and Scott uh, Frost should know better than that. Uh, he's a big boy, but the chancellor and the AD, to me, are worse than Scott Frost. Let me uh, let me move this along to uh, one Phillies topic. They announced today that um, Dick Allen, well, the number 15, uh, 15 will be retired in early September. Uh, obviously, Dick Allen going for uh, is a prime figure for a potential Hall of Fame induction uh, on the Veterans Committee uh, coming in December. Um, is is Dick Allen worthy of the honor? Well, they, are they going to take the 15 away from Nap at that point? Uh, Nap has changed to number seven. Good for Nap. Uh, By the way, last person to wear 34, Andrew Nap. Wow. That's a trivia question for you. So when um, they retire Mikel Franco's number, Andrew Nap's going to be the last one who retires. Well, I guess here's the question, Kevin. Their, uh-huh. their policy has been if you're a Hall of Famer, yeah. your number gets retired. That's mm-hmm. why they only have like five or six of them, whatever it is. Um. My take on it is, why are you giving it to, like, to me, Halliday should not have his Phillies number retired. Mm-hmm. He was here four years. The last year and a half of that, he really wasn't anything. Right. He had a couple, he had some great moments. Don't get me wrong. Perfect game, no hitter. He was a great Philly for those two and a half years that he could he could do it. 
Is that worthy of getting your number retired? So with Dick Allen's case, for people that aren't familiar with him, because you have to be older, I guess, he played, I believe, six, five or six seasons here. Six, I guess. Starting in 64. He was rookie of the year. 64 the year to, to what? Adult. 69? 68? 69? Yes. I believe that. And then, yes. came, and then and came, came back in 75 rookie. and 76, right? Right. But he wasn't. At that point, he was like, he was a player. You know, he was more like a, 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 a clubhouse guy, that sort of thing. His big years were with the White Sox and the Cardinals. Um he won a, uh, an MVP, I think, right with Chicago. Sure. Um, um, so I, if you're just asking me, if I just looked at his Phillies numbers for, for the eight seasons that he played here, I don't know if that's retirement worthy. Uh, and I, Dick Allen was my favorite player. He was Richie Allen then. Right. When I was a kid, he was, he was my favorite player. And he went through a lot of crap here in Philadelphia because of the racial stuff. Some of it might have been his fault. A lot of it might have been our fault. Um it was a, it was a it was a goofy times back then, uh, you know, and he was thrown kind of right into the middle of it, and now he became this kind of beloved guy when he came back and they won the division in '76. But I gotta tell you, Kevin, and 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 if if they retire his number and he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, and isn't this his last chance? Well, no, they they they'll look at it every couple of years. Uh, oh, but I he's thought, gonna he's I gonna thought, have enough support. I think he will get in this time. I would agree with you, but what uh, I'm saying is, if if he doesn't, I think the Phillies. Are, a, I think the Phillies are trying to goose the vote, basically. Well, and that could be, but that's a bad reason to do it. I know, but what, what I'm saying is, if Dick doesn't get in this year, I thought somebody said you could only be on that veteran committee thing so many times. Uh, it's every three years you come back up. Okay, I would. I, no, I no, it's every three it years, so he would have to wait. Dick Allen's 78 years old. So right, I, right, it, yeah. it's part of this that, you know, you want to make sure Dick is able to enjoy this while he's healthy. Do you uh, think Dick Allen's a Hall of Famer? You know, here's the tough part. I didn't see Dick Allen. Okay. I got you. Yeah. And I mean, look, I've seen the testimonials from Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and all that. And, and they have a lot of weight. Um, I also see the fact that, People who saw him didn't have him close to getting elected. So I, I don't know. Like, you know, I get it. And, and look, I commend the people who do say it. I don't have a voice in it. I don't think I would feel comfortable having a voice in it because I didn't here's the see way. Him. Here's the way I look at Dick Allen. And I've seen some some numbers where people have compared his numbers with Ruth. To, like, and Aaron, um, well, no, but yeah. like as far as the power numbers and everything, a, yeah, like Dick Allen had as much talent as a as 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 and almost he did win anybody. M- that and he did win MVPs in the American League. He won one, right? I think two. I think it was one. I'll, ch- I'll check. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. If it, if it was two, that maybe makes it. But I think it was one. I think it was seventy-two that he won with the with the White Sox. Um, but. The thing to me is, it, 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 and you can say he got he got messed up. He got messed up by Philadelphia. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think you can factor that into whether he was a Hall of Famer or not. And I think you have to just look. If he played um, 15 years in the big leagues, let's say, which well, I, he, now, did. he didn't play he 15. Did. He played 15. 15. How many of those years were great years? Well, he was rookie of the year. Guess. He was rookie of the year in '64. Right. Seventh in the MVP okay. voting that year. He was in right. 66. He was fourth in the MVP 
MVP voting. He did okay. win the one in 72. He was okay. a seven-time All-Star. Okay. Um, he 351 homers, 1,119 RBIs, 292 average, which is actually, for a power hitter, really good. He was a great player. And a 912, and a 912 OPS. Okay, and you know more about what OPS means than I do. But on base percentage and slugging percentage, he has he has more black type. Uh, black type for those who don't know is black type. If you looked at the baseball encyclopedia, black type means you let you led a league in a specific mm-hmm. offensive category in a year. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say he's not a Hall of Famer because, like I said, I liked the guy. I was a fan of his. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, to me, like 350 home runs. In an era when people were hitting home runs, I mean, not like they do that. No, no. But what I'm saying is, it used to be if a guy didn't at least get the 400, you unless he was Joe DiMaggio, you won't even think of him like that. Um, and it just seems to me like people kind of when they look at Dick Allen, they say, "Well, you know, if all those things didn't happen to him, you know, his numbers would have been even greater." And that could be true. Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking that, but you know, if if they put him in, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. If they don't put him in. It's not like the biggest um, miscarriage of justice that ever happened, and I agree with you. I think he's going to get in. Yeah, I think, and I think is. maybe that's why the Phillies are doing it. But I just think if I was the Phillies, I would have waited until he made it. That's all I'm saying. Because if God forbid he doesn't make it, as you've brought up to me off the air, now you have Jimmy, you have Ryan Howard, and you have Chase. Well, I want to get to that in a second. Uh, go ahead. Hold okay. On. Well. Yeah, and I think when you look at it and you compare it to, look, in my mind, the Rollins, Utley, and Howard argument is now settled. You got to retire all three of them. Um, you got to give them number retirement. If you're retiring Halliday and you're retiring Richie Allen, you got to retire three guys who won you a World Series. The other, but they're in the hall. Of, but they're in the Hall of Fame. That's the difference, Kevin. All the numbers you have out on that wall, if Dick Eventually, Allen gets in. Well, yeah. I The only thing I would say is Richie Ashburn's number was retired long before he got in the Hall of Fame. That I, I'm not – all I'm saying is if that's the policy you want as a team, right? then you got to live up to that policy. If that's not the policy you want – I'm fine with that. Right. You know, the Yankees have like 30 numbers retired. That's why like everybody on their team wears 82. Um, but if, you know, think about if, if we're, if, if our Philadelphia sports franchise in baseball is going to put three guys in because we won a world series and it was only our second world series ever. I, I, you know, now if you want to make the argument that chase was the greatest second baseman, Howard's the greatest first baseman, Jimmy's the greatest shortstop. Jimmy's the all-time hit. All Jimmy's the all-time hit leader in uh Yeah. And I think Jimmy will at some point in his life, I, I believe this, we'll get into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh whether it's by a vote, whether it's by the veterans committee at some point, I'm not sure Chase and Ryan will. Um you know, Ryan was on pace, I think, at some point. So is Chase. There. So was Chase. Yeah. Um, but I think Jimmy has easily I shouldn't say easily, but I think he has the best shot of the three to get in there. And, and, uh, but if the, and if I don't the want, Phillies want to retire, oh, go ahead. No, and I don't want to. And I don't want to. You know, I don't want to say, "Wow, you know the, you know the 
they shouldn't retire Dick Allen. They can do whatever they want. And Dick Allen is, is certainly in the easy conversation. And you're right. I think especially with the times he lived in, it, it, it's there's a very strong case for Dick Allen. I just personally believe that if you're putting Dick Allen in, you got to put those other three in. And I'll be honest, there's there's another number there. It's on social media today. I saw a ton of it, and I didn't quite know what to think, but now it kind of makes sense, and it's shared by two pl- players. You would retire at once, and that would be Larry Boa and, and, and Darren Dalton for what they did for the organization, the impact they had mm-hmm. on the organization. One's a lifer, and one obviously, you know, because of the story that went along with with hey, here. The, the only problem I have no problem with doing things like that, but the, if you want to become the Yankees, and the Yankees are a fran- have won twenty seven World Series, right? I think it's a little different franchise than the Phillies. I love again, Larry. I think Larry Boa should merit consideration for the Hall of Fame, right? Um, when he retired, you know, his numbers were worthy. I thought. Maybe I'm a nut. Um, you know, the, one of the greatest fielding shortstops up till that point. Um, it was a different game then. Uh, him and Concepcion were the best two shortstops in, in the National League for sure. Um, and Dalton meant a lot to the franchise. But is Dalton, you know, uh, uh, like, I just don't know. Because 30, 40 years from now, like, are you, you going to have 30 numbers retired? I mean, well, no, Dalton, that's a fair Bella, point, too. Yeah, but Del- Bo and Dalton to me, yeah, if you want to put their – but I thought that's what the Wall of Fame was for, like for guys who didn't have their number retired, yeah. but you were recognizing them in a certain way. And this has been always the issue I have with what they've done with the Wall of Fame. like Lieberthal. The Lieberthals. Uh, I love Sammy. I, I love Juan Samuel personally. Juan Samuel is one of right. my favorite people in the game ever. But you have Sammy on the wall. I'll, I'll say yeah. this, and I, I know he just passed away. Tony Taylor was a popular player, but probably not a a, a, a player who I agree with you. Okay, I agree. Uh, and yeah. if you look at numbers, just numbers. But once you devalue it, and I know I don't mean that in a disrespectful tone. I'm just saying is once you set the bar, right? But in my mind, but in my mind, and this is the whole thing with Howard Utley and Rollins. Everybody's like, well, you know, that's why you have a wall of fame. Yeah, but they have to be at a different level than the guys we just mentioned. Well, their yeah, impact on the, the pro- franchise is, is at a different level. But that's the problem. I mean, and I think they probably will retire those numbers at some point, uh, whether it's sooner or, or not sooner. And then, then somebody's going to bring up Hamels. You know, they'll say, well, you know, he was a big part of that, which he was. Um, was he as big a part as those three guys? I, I don't know. Uh, he was their best pitcher for until Halliday and Lee got here. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's that, that's why I, I never liked, like, when the Yankees, you know, put up Jorge Posada and uh, Paul O'Neill. Williams. Paul and, O'Neill. And those guys were, were very, yeah. very, very important players to what the Yankees did in winning titles. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but number worthy? They're not up there with Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and, no. and Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. I mean, you know, yeah, Jeter, Jeter, Mariano, absolutely. Bernie Williams, oh, no. no. Oh, Jeter and Mariano, <laughs> no, not even, not, not even. You know close. what team has no. the best number of retirement policy, and I, I mean this like sincere. The Mets. Do you know, like the Mets only have like they have Stengel, they have uh, Gary Carter, I believe. Seaver. 
a Seaver, and they just retired Piazza. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good players who aren't on that. You know, no strawberry. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure Gary Carter was like. You know what? I mean, I'm not had, even sure Gary Carter's on that. I'm, I'm going yeah, on the top of, of my Gary head. Gary Carter, I think of the Expos. Now, I know he was on the 86 team, you know, and I guess once upon a time we would have figured Gooden and Strawberry would have been, you know, easily there, but obviously their careers took, you know, a, a turn. Um, yeah, I'm just – I'm stingy like that. Like, I, I, but, I, but if the Phillies turn around tomorrow and said, hey, we're retiring those three guys and Dalton and Boa – I wouldn't sit here and say, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. No, 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 no. But their policy has been for this long to be a certain way. I'm not saying that's what the policy has to be. Me personally, I, you know, Roy Halladay's number should be retired as a Blue Jay. It shouldn't be retired as a Philly. All right, by that's the, me. By the way, the, the four retired numbers for the Mets. Gil Hodges, number 14. Right. For manager. Mike Piazza, 31. Casey Stengel, 37. Tom Seaver, right. 41. That's it. And 42, obviously. Yeah. Casey's got his number retired twice then because the Yankees have him up too. Right. But, like, no Keith Hernandez, no, no Strawberry, no Gooden. I think Jerry Kuzman may actually be uh, – they may be thinking about putting Kuzman in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but see, to me, that's what a retired number should be. Yeah. Like, it should be – like, the Yankees, like, I think they have – um. Uh, Roger Maris is up there, and I think I understand. You know, I don't think of Roger Maris in the same vein that I think of some of those other. And Roger went on and won a couple more World Series with the Cardinals or won one and lost one. Um, and I think Roger Maris, like his place in history for what he did hitting the 61 home runs, and he did win an MVP. Um, but, you know, and it, I just think the Yankees – and the Yankees have so many great players – that they don't need to retire the guys who aren't the really, truly, you know, great players. Uh, mm-hmm. But, hey, every team – th- what team was I, I seen to? I think the Giants are like that, Kevin. The Giants don't have, I think, a lot. I think it's like Mel Ott. No, no, the Giants Hubble. have a ton. Oh, okay. Well, what team was I Hold thinking on. of? Hold on. The, the Giants have Terry, Ott, Hubble, Monty Irvin, Willie, Bonds, Marischal, Cepeda, Perry, McCovey, Matthewson, and John McGraw. Who was the th- who was the guy after McCovey? Uh, Terry, Christy Mathewson. No, didn't you say a Terry in there, like the third or fourth from the last name? Cepeda, Perry, Gaylord Perry. Oh, Gaylord Perry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I look. They've had a lot of great players. I mean, yeah, most. Of, I mean, this is how barren the Phillies' 130 year or 40 year, whatever. They have one of the worst histories of any team. Mm-hmm. They just do. Yeah, you have 1915, you have 1950, when they won one World Series game out of nine, and then you get to the 70s, you know, when they had the good run, and then the good run they had with Charlie. That's it. I mean, 93, throw 93 in. I I mean, the Phillies don't have a lot to get excited about. So when you get three of your best players at those respective positions all playing together – for a five or six year stretch when they were really good. I mean, yeah, that that's and, and judging by the way the team is put together now, it's gonna be a while. You would you like to hear the Yankees list? No, because it'll take three hours. Well, I, I I'll, I'll run it quick. Ready? One for Martin, two for Jeter, three Ruth, four Garrick, five DiMaggio, six Joe Torrey, 
seven Mantle, eight for Berra and Bill Dickey, nine for Maris, 10 for Rizzuto, 15 for Munson, 16 for Ford, 20 for Posada. You're right. Posada doesn't belong on that. Mattingly, 23. Elston Howard, 32. Casey, 37. Mariano, 42. Reggie, 44. Pettit, 46. Gidry, 49. Bernie Williams, 51. Yeah, I mean, look, like they said, Williams and Posada are the two that that I probably – Paul O'Neill didn't have his number retired, huh? No, he's in Monument Park, though. Okay. Well, Paul O'Neill shouldn't be in Monument Park either, and I like Paul O'Neill as a player. He was he was good for that team and everything, but hey, look, and the car, and the Cardinals have a ton of them too. Yeah, they have twenty seven World Series. They 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 should have probably twenty seven players with their number retired. I mean, I, you know, it's the idea. You know that Dimaggio when he first came up, I saw this one. It wore number nine. Yeah, and then switched to five, and they gave number six to Bobby Mercer because they thought Bobby Mercer was going to be that next guy. And well, no, 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 no. Actually, it was they gave it to Mantle his first year as six. Well, I didn't know that. I just knew no, it was. No, it was, it was, they gave it to Mantle because, you know, Ruth three, Gehrig right, four. Three, four, five, six. Yeah. Right. And they figured that Mantle was the next one. Mantle asked to be changed to seven. Then they gave it to Mercer, who was they as six. Right. Who, who didn't turn out to be one. Tur- right. You know. uh, yeah. The next, uh, outside of what the Phillies are doing, who do you think the next athlete in Philadelphia deserves to have his number retired? Um, by any team, right? I mean, by like, any team, yeah. Outside the Phillies. Uh, oh, wow. Well, the obvious guy on the Flyers would be Giroux. Uh, I, I would go John LeClaire, but that's me. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, oh, you're, t- I thought the guys no, were playing. No, no, guys. Leclerc, oh, Leclerc, the fact that Leclerc's number is not is ridiculous. I mean, Leclerc was great. Right. Um, You know, he's one of the top 10 flyers of all time. I mean, is that a fair statement? I think he's top, yeah, I think he's in the ballpark top five. Yeah, but good. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know why that, you know, one of the great trades in flyers history. Um, See, I don't know all the guys that, whose numbers aren't retired. Um, I mean, Jason Peters, I'm going to guess at some point, will get his number retired, right? I would say either Jason Peters would. Jason Peters is going to the Hall of Fame. Right. And he's been in like eight or nine Pro Bowls or whatever the hell he's been. Fletcher Cox is probably going to get his number retired by the Eagles. Yeah, but see, I think Jason Peters, at least right now, is what could have done it. I still think Fletcher Cox has a little doing to do. But that's me. Uh and to be bluntly honest, I don't see a sixer worthy. Uh, is Iverson's number retired? Yes. Okay. Oh, there's nobody since Iverson. No. Um, no, but I mean, you got two guys on this team who, you know, if they if they play another eight to ten years, and and I'll be honest, there may be one number I would rip out of the ceiling, but that's me. What number? You see, to me, I, I get Bobby Jones was a great player, but he was a six man. Yeah. See, to me, Bobby Jones, but he's in the Hall of Fame. I get it. I understand. Well, to me, when you go into the Hall of Fame, Number it's retired. almost like it's almost automatic. Like to me, Bobby Jones, I put him in like the Paul O'Neill, yeah, O'Neill kind of Bernie Williams, who are very like absolutely essential to what the Sixers were doing at the time when they made that trade for him. Um you know, I, 
but I agree with you. Like, I don't think of Bobby Jones as great, but but Mo Cheeks wasn't Mo necessarily che- great either. Right. Mo, Mo does have a, his number retired, and he is right. in the Hall of Fame. He was though. a quintessential point guard, and Andrew Tony would have his number retired. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that they re- that they have uh, Moses up there, and again, yeah. I go by the fact that Moses was here four years. You can't play in a city for four years and have your number retired. I'm sorry. I, I don't care that you, you were the missing piece. You won a championship. We all know that. But to me, re, number retired has to be a career. Right. You know, uh, Hal Greer was here, uh, what, 15 years, 16, whatever he was. Guys who spent most of their career here. Um, and I guess even in Bobby Jones's case, I, he was here, what, like seven, eight years? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's just my opinion. I mean, was Moses one of the? Did he have one of the great sixer seasons ever? Sure. Absolutely. It's kind of no that doubt. falls on the holiday rule. If you want to look at it, I, I say, exact same thing to me. Like, but I don't know. Like, would you retire when you think of Moses? Do you think of him as a rocket, or do you think of him as a sixer? I think I, of him I, as I think, a sixer. Yeah, I do too. But with holiday, I'm not so sure of that. I think as, as many people might think of him as a Blue Jay, even though he had the no hitter in the perfect game with the Phillies. Right. Um, that's a good question, Kevin. That that's yeah, uh, that's a real good question. Um, but I think Peters is a shoe in. I I think Peters, whatever the Eagles do to honor their guys. Yeah. To me, he um, it does. Um, Dawkins is, has his number retired. Yeah, right. He does. Okay. Is there anybody else like from that era that that we're forgetting? Um, Donovan does too. Yeah. Um, uh, how about Westbrook? Does oh, Westbrook I, I know. I know a guy who should have his number retired for the Eagles. Go ahead. How Carmichael should have his number retired by the Eagles? His number's not retired. No. Um, Nelson Aguilar was wearing it last the last couple of years. Well, see that, that then the Eagles should be ashamed of themselves. They should be absolutely ashamed of themselves and now the fact that he's going into the hall of fame should shame them even more yeah that that that's that's a gross miscarriage of justice because harold carmichael was one of the, the, the great eagle receivers of all time and, and plus like you said he spent like the last 30 years in the not that that should count i don't mean but he's that an that organizational lifer he, he right he played one year in dallas i think when he left here that's it right yeah that's a, yeah and but he, I mean, Ray Dinninger went over all this stuff. I remember, like when he left the game. I mean, he still holds the Eagles' record, I think, for most touchdowns, like seventy-one or something like that. Right. Um. Um. And his catches and 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 on and on and on and on. Does Westbrook have his number retired yet? No, but I don't think he. I wouldn't put him in that group, to be honest. Oh, I think he might get his number retired. Oh, he point. may, but I'm not sure I would do it. You know. Uh, he had a pretty good career, Kevin. I mean. Um, that's a that that's a tough one. I mean, you you could say the same almost about Shady McCoy. You know, yeah. I, mean, Shady did I, I wouldn't hold my breath on Shady or or oh, Deshaun no, no, Jackson. What no. Westbrook to me was here long enough and had enough of an impact that I think he'll get considered at so, at some point. So you know, and he was a fan, he was a fan favorite if that if that matters or if that counts in there but yeah harold carmichael oh god jesus uh so we're back on tuesday next week i don't have a guest yet uh we're going to keep it open depending on what's going on with the flyers and the sixers with the playoffs and if the phillies meltdown continues they have started by the way michael uh and 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 they're wearing the swedish uniform in philadelphia history 
the the powder blues today. I love the powder blue. Love the powder blues. Love the powder blue. I know some people to hate them. Yeah, they do. I, and I remember when they got rid of them back in the early '90s, thinking, "Oh, you know, thank God, you know, they were dated and everything." Now they're back. It's I love. I, it. I think the powder blues, and I love their sun the day uniforms, the the cream one. I I really like that one. Yep. So, but, all right, sir. Thank you for joining okay. us. Thanks to Bob Cooney for joining us as well. We uh, we had fun this week. And we hope we'll have a little more fun with you next week. Thanks for joining us. This has been Work of the Beat. <laughs>